This message was recorded at the Redeemed Christian Church of God Salvation Center, where we're maximizing potential and fulfilling destiny. We pray you'll be blessed as you listen to the following message. The Lord, I open up my heart to you. I want to receive from you today. Speak to me directly in the name of Jesus. Every thought, every imagination that I may have had, Lord, I lay them aside today. And I want to hear from you. Holy Spirit, you are the teacher. Teach us today. Open our eyes of understanding that we may see the realities of Christ concerning our lives in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, we pray that it will not be just another sermon, but Lord, you will minister to our hearts in the mighty name of Jesus. We thank you, blessed Redeemer. We give you praise and we give you glory in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. You may please be seated. So this, this is so important to me today that by the grace of God, I want to, I'm going to try, pray for me, church. I'm going to try very hard to leave 10 minutes at the end of the sermon today to do Q&A. I want to make sure that we are properly established in the truth. Today, I'll be talking on what I have titled, titled The Sanctity of Marriage. The sanctity of marriage. Can you believe it? Already the year is off to the races. Today is the last Sunday of the month. It means February, next Sunday is gone. You know, and my prayer is that as the year is moving along, your life will move along in the name of Jesus. God will elevate you. Uh, God will establish your, the desires of your heart. In the mighty name of Jesus. So today, like I said, we're talking about the sanctity of marriage. And the, the one thing I want to ask everybody today is, you have, we all have biases. Uh, biases based on whatever that we already have. I want you to lay aside your biases or what you have imagined to be true about marriage. And I want us to look at the scriptures together so that we form our understanding of marriage and the basis for marriage on what the scripture says. Amen? Amen. So I, I, I want to start by asking the question, the what and the why of marriage. You know, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Joyce, uh, Pastor Joyce, by the way, she's in the UK right now uh, on a family mission. Uh, I will tell you more about it later. But she'll be back next Sunday by the grace of God. A couple of weeks ago, uh, she talked to us about how to find the right person to marry. You know, what's the godly way of going about knowing who should I marry? So I'm not going to delve into that uh, since she already took care of that. And if you are wondering, you can go back on our YouTube channel, uh, RCCG Salvation Center, San Antonio, uh, on YouTube, you, will, uh, you can refresh your memory with that message. So I want to start today by what is marriage? What is marriage? Marriage is the first institution that God established. Marriage is so important that having created the world, the first thing that God created was not the ministry of justice to punish sinners. That's not what he did. The first thing he did was to establish an institution called marriage. And we see that in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24. It says, for this reason, a man will leave father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So the first thing I want you to know today is that marriage is the first institution that God uh, established. It didn't institute the priesthood. The priesthood came later on. It didn't institute any other institution. The very first thing God did is institute marriage. Why? Marriage, uh, the, the, the simplest unit of any society is the family. 
And every family evolves out of a marriage relationship. So there's a father, there's a mother, we have children, that's a family. A family unit is the smallest unit of any society. And any society that is deemed good is because the families are good. Every society that, the, that is deemed bad is because the families are what? I wouldn't say bad. All right? So, the f- number two, under what is marriage, is the first marriage recorded in the history of man was between Adam and Eve. This is instructive. In this age and time, when you have all kinds of definition for marriage, I can guarantee you that when I was growing up, in the Webster's Dictionary, uh, some years back, you remember I said I'm growing up, I'm getting old. I'm not old, but getting old. Back in those days, you look for a dictionary definition of marriage. It says marriage is between a man and a woman. One man, one woman. Amen? That has changed today. Go check Webster's Dictionary. It doesn't define it as such anymore. Marriage is now defined as a relationship between two individuals, meaning it can be between a man and a man, or a man and a woman, and between a woman and a man, and a woman and a woman. But that is not what the scripture teaches us. So we are establishing what marriage is based on what the scripture teaches us. So let's open to uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, very quickly. Genesis 2, verse 24. Say, for this reason shall a man leave his father and his mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. But when you back it up, you know that the Bible tells us how God created man out of the dust. Yeah? And having created man, he saw that man was lonely. He said, I will create for him a help meet that is suitable for him. And God paraded the dogs and the cats and the monkeys and uh, the elephants, paraded them before him. And the Bible says there was none, no companion that was found for Adam. Until God said, okay, I got it. You, you, know, you know what's up. So God put him to sleep and took a rib out of him and created a woman. And when he woke up from his sleep and he saw the woman, he called her woman. He said, this is now the bone of my bone and the flesh of my flesh. So the first example of marriage we see in scripture was between a man called Adam and a woman called Eve. And on the strength of that, we define what marriage is, that it is between a man and a woman. Are we tracking? Praise the Lord. There's three C's I want to talk about very quickly before we continue this morning. I call them the three C's of marriage. The number one C is commitment. Marriage is a commitment. Can you preach that to your neighbor? If you are not ready to commit, don't get into marriage. If you are still busy with life, you still want to do this, you want to do that, you want to go there, you want to fly there, you, you, you still want to globe trust. That's okay. But don't get married. Because marriage is a commitment. It's a commitment. And it's not just a commitment. It's not a commitment for a period. It's a lifelong commitment. That is why it is very, very important, very, very important that you pray very well before you commit to marriage. You know, a number of times, you know, I've had to uh, talk to people 
you know, and they tell me, Pastor, you don't know my husband. Or, Pastor, you don't know my wife. I say, you're exactly right. I don't. You know them and you married them. It was your decision, your choice to marry the, the person. So it's very important. If you are not yet married, understand the sanctity of marriage. As far as God is concerned, marriage is sacred. Marriage is what? Sacred. sacred. So marriage is a commitment. Matthew 19, 5 and 6 from the King James Version. It says, and said, this is Jesus speaking, for this cause a man shall leave father and mother, quoting Genesis 2.24, and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. They shall be one flesh. Wherefore, verse 6, they are no more two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. What is God saying? God is saying, when you come to this union called marriage, is a lifelong commitment. It's not like you go to the store, you bought a beautiful suit, you know, you tried it on because you love it so much, you didn't really pay detailed attention. And then you got home, you wore it, ah, it's a little tight under, and then you take it back to the store to replace so you don't get into marriage and then you drive the car for a week or two. He said, this is not what I thought it was going to be. So I'm taking it back to the shop. To, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. That is no, <laughs> no return, no refund. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no test running. <laughs> when, when, <laughs> when I was single... Remember, I called that my pastor out when he came. He made life quite miserable for me. Now look at them. Dangerous single. You know? He said, no test driving. No test driving. All kinds of things that he used to say to us back then. So he said, what God has joined together, let not man put asunder. Number two, C. The first C is what? Commitment and a lifelong one, a lifelong commitment, because God says it cannot be separated once it comes together. Number two C is marriage is a contract. Marriage is a legally binding contract. You know, before I eventually settled and married my wife, you know, there were two people prior that I thought I was going to marry. All right? So we were, in quote, engaged. I didn't put a ring on it, but it was an understanding between, <laughs> between us that we want to marry. <laughs> you know? And in both cases, I had met with parents. So parents knew me. Uh, I knew them. They knew, you know, they knew what's up. But I was, <laughs> I was broke. So <laughs> marriage did not come up just yet. <laughs> Amen? But the first one, Things happened, you know, righteous things. It, it was not dirty stuff that some of you are thinking. <laughs> you know, so things happened, and I, I looked, I weighed the situation. I said, Lord, this cannot be you. We broke up. But I, I didn't have to go before a judge. I didn't have to go give an explanation to anybody. Why? Because it was not legally binding. So dating and being engaged is not a legally binding relationship. But in marriage, once you're married, you see Austin and uh, Rose now. <laughs> when you are married, you can't say, I'm tired and just walk away. You have to go to court. You have to file for divorce, it's a process. Somebody say process. process. All right. So marriage is a legally binding contract. Legally binding contract. The third C is marriage is a covenant, and this stops everything. Marriage 
is a covenant that a man and a woman have made in the presence of God. So when we want to join two people, like we did last week with uh, Austin and Rose, when we want to join them, we, we, we make reference to the fact that we are joining them before these witnesses and in the presence of God. Marriage is a covenant. Marriage is what? A covenant. A covenant that must not be broken. All right? Malachi chapter 2 verse 14, the Bible says you cry out. Why does the Lord not accept my worship? I'll tell you why. Because the Lord witnessed the vows you, you and your wife made when you were young. So the scripture is telling us that when we exchange the vows of marriage, God is present and God is in it. We are making a covenant before God and before man that till death do us part. I, you know, when you preach a sermon like this, it's all-encompassing. There are always unique individual cases that may not be put into that block. But just walk with me this morning. Okay? So marriage is a covenant. It's a covenant that is made in the presence of God. Marriage is a blood covenant. Somebody say blood covenant. Say, what do you mean, Pastor? Without being graphic. If the marriage has not been consummated, it's technically not marriage yet. Amen? And that marriage can be annulled. Amen? Say, for example, a man has issues down there. Let's just put it that way. But didn't tell the woman that I can't perform more. You forgot that part. They were just exchanging gifts and writing love letters and poems. And then on wedding night, say I'm tired. Okay, we understand. You'll be well rested tomorrow night. <laughs> and then we shall see. And then the tomorrow night came, still tired and not able to. And then three days, one week, say, this is marriage by deception that marriage can still be annulled. And when it is annulled, it's like you never got married. Why? That marriage has not been consummated. It is why it is crazy for any believer that is in a relationship with someone, but they are not yet married, for them to be having sexual intercourse. Because you are... However many people you are sleeping with, you are making blood covenants with them. All right. We get that. So marriage is a commitment. Marriage is a contract. And marriage is a covenant. As far as God is concerned, marriage is beyond a commitment and contract. It is a covenant. So what does the sanctity of marriage mean? What does the sanctity of marriage mean? The, the, the term sanctity itself connotes uh, something holy, something that is sacred. And that is why sometimes marriage is referred to as holy matrimony. Holy matrimony. Praise the Lord. So because with God, marriage is holy, Marriage is sacred. That is why it is crazy that you get into marriage unadvisedly. What do I mean by unadvisedly? Without counsel. In our church, in Salvation Center, if two people come and show intent to marry, the first thing we do is, is 16 weeks. 16 weeks. We have 16 weeks of classes that we are engaged with the two people, talking to them about what marriage really means. Telling them you need to consider very well. Once you have entered, it's not a trap. 
<laughs> Once you have entered, you have entered. Right, bookie? <laughs> Once you have entered, you have entered your bookie. <laughs> Once you're in, you're in. It's a one-way street as far as God is concerned. Okay? So, it's important that we understand the sanctity of marriage. Very important. So why did God establish marriage? Why? We've talked about the what. Let's talk about the why real quick. Why did God establish marriage? If you read Genesis chapter 1 verse 31, the Bible says after God had created everything, created the world, the trees, the dogs, the animals, the plants, created everything, created man and the woman, the Bible says he looked back at everything he had created, and God said it was very good. You see that? Say, so then God looked overall. Then God looked overall. He had made, that's not good English making sense. Anyway, he looked at everything he had made, <laughs> right? And he saw that it was very good. He saw that it was very good. And then you jump to Genesis chapter 2 and the 18th verse. The Bible says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man will be alone. So God looked at everything he had created in totality and he saw something missing. He saw something missing. And when he saw what was missing, he made a plan to fix it. So when you ask why marriage, why marriage? Because God wants to make things better for you and for myself. The, the core of marriage is to make the lives of the two people that are engaging in marriage to make their lives better. That is why Proverbs 18.22 the Bible says, he that finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. When you read in the New Living Translation, it said, he that finds a wife finds a treasure. Uh, you see that? The man who finds a wife finds a treasure. A treasure makes you better than before you find the treasure. Remember, in Matthew 13, in one of the parables of Jesus, the Bible says heaven is like a man that discovers a treasure and sells everything he had to buy that field so that he can obtain that treasure. Marriage is to make your life better. Somebody is saying, Pastor, you don't know my marriage. Well, that's story for another day. We are regrounding. Somebody say we are regrounding. Aha. So marriage done right will make your life better. Many people can testify that after I got married, this started working out. That started working out. The other one started working out. The other one started working out. Amen? Why? Because marriage was designed by God to make things better for the two people that are coming together. Amen? God said it is, it is not good for man to be alone. Therefore, he says, a man will leave father and mother and cleave to his wife and the two of them shall become one flesh. Amen? Ecclesiastes chapter 4 9 through 10, it says two are better than one. Two are better off than one. For they can help each other succeed. So when you marry the bone of your bone and the flesh of your flesh, it makes your life better. Amen? Not only does it make it better, it makes you more successful. Is what the scripture is telling you, uh, telling us here. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help him. 
But someone that falls alone is in real trouble. Amen? Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? So, we have talked about the what, and we have talked about the why of marriage. Number three, I want us to look at how do we maintain the sanctity of marriage? We have said marriage is holy. Marriage is sacred. And if you are thinking, but I'm not married yet, now know it for when you will marry. Praise the Lord. To maintain the sanctity of marriage, you must follow God's guidelines for marriage. And for the married folks, I want you to pay attention here. Amen? I want you to pay attention. The first thing I want to address here is that it's important that we all understand that marriage is between two people. In fact, in our church, if you are getting married, once you have gone through the class and you are looking at your wedding date ahead, the thing we ask you to do is go do a pregnancy test. You can't join three people in marriage. You can only join two. <laughs> I know it sounds funny, but it's the truth. You can't show up and say, I do. I would. No, it's two people. He said the man will leave father and mother and cleave to his wife. It's two people. Marriage is between two people. You know, and when I say this, I'm thinking about myself now. Because very soon, by the grace of God, me too, I'll be giving hand in marriage. So I have to remind myself of the stuff that I've preached. Because it is the truth. Marriage is not between husband, wife, mother-in-law, father-in-law, uncle-in-law, and uncle-outlaw, and uncle... No, 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 no. <laughs> Marriage is between two people. The two people that are answerable for marriage is the husband and the wife. The pastor, as your pastor, I can't answer for your marriage. As long as I've given you instruction by the grace of God, as I'm doing now, on the day of judgment, you will answer for your actions in your marriage. So marriage is between two people. It's important that we establish that. People can influence you. They can give you counsel. They can give you advice. They have been through that road. They can tell you, typically it doesn't work this way. And you can learn from their example. One of the worst things we can do in life to say is to say, I can't learn from other people until it happens to me before I learn. That's a very foolish thing to say. And I hope nobody here says that. All right. So we must follow God's guideline. The number one guideline is marriage is between two people, husband and wife. Not between you, your wife, extended family, none of that. Secondly, for marriage to be marriage, there has to be a leaving to cleaving. If you have not left, you cannot cleave. Don't you find it interesting that it is addressed to men to leave and cleave? Why didn't God say, for this purpose, the man and the woman will leave? their father and mother, and then the two of them will cleave to become one. No, 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 no. That's not what the scripture says. The scripture says, for this purpose, a man will leave father and mother and then go ahead and cleave to his wife, and the two of them will become one flesh. So it is not enough to say, ah, you know, I know they suffer that my father suffered on me, you know, like my, no. You are now the father in that marriage. You are now the mother in that marriage. You are the uncle, the aunt, and everything to your spouse in that marriage. You are her defense, her rock. I'm not saying dishonor your parents. That's not what I'm saying. But I want us to understand scripture. 
The Bible says, for this reason, the man, come on, say the man. For this reason, the man will leave father and mother and cleave to his wife. Think about the sacrifice of the woman. Very quickly, I'll just mention this and then I'll move on. The woman has to give up, has to give up her name. The man doesn't. She gives up her name to adopt this new married name. So she already left father and mother. In most cases, in most cases, I mean, there are always exceptions to the rule. In most cases, after marriage, what happens? The woman abandons wherever she's living and moving with the husband. So the separation for the woman is clear. The separation for the man is a mental and emotional and spiritual separation that has to be made. Because it is easy for the man to just want to continue business as usual because nothing really has changed for him. Nothing. All right. Let's continue very quickly. I'm not doing too well with time, but... Uh, uh, I will look for a good place to stop. Watch this. So there must be living to cleaving before marriage can be sacred the way God wants it to be. Number three, as a man, I must treat my wife as the treasure that she truly is. How do we handle a treasure? We secure it. Amen? If somebody will give you, is there anything like a three-carat gold? I mean, three-carat diamond. Clean cut, one, two. Rock! They give you <laughs> rock. I guarantee you, none, none of us here will put it on the counter, on your bathroom, table, so that you can behold it in the morning. Very quickly, you will know what is called a safe vault. Right. Because that rock that you are holding is worth millions of dollars. You're going to treasure it. You're going to guard it. You're going to protect it with everything you have. The Bible says he that finds a wife finds a treasure. She's to be protected to be guarded, to make sure she's not harassed or embarrassed in any way, shape, or form. Next, I'll say, stop saying number because I've lost count. Honor your wife. We're talking about biblical guidance, uh, uh, guidelines. Honor your wife. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 7. Listen. It says, in the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. You know, since I've known the calls, and I was asking him this myself, so how long have you been doing that? Because I'm going to talk about you in the sermon. <laughs> every week, every week, he buys Mama Cole a life flower. Every week. For the past 26 years. Every week without fail. I've been to their house a number of times. I thought it was, <laughs> I thought it was rubber, you know. All those, you know, I mean, just, you know, the, the water was real. You know those things, they, they put like gel inside of them, and then it looks real, but it's really not it's silk, you know. Real. Every week, without fail, he buys a fresh one. 26 years. It's not an advice for you to start buying your wife love. <laughs> because if she doesn't value it, she'll be like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> Is it because pastors say, I don't buy my wife flowers every week. But the point of it is this. <laughs> Co-pastor will tell me, just give me the money. <laughs> don't go and waste money buying flowers. Just give me the money. <laughs> 
listen to this. The point of that is this. Whatever she values, based on her value system, is how you're going to honor her. You don't honor her based on your value system. If she doesn't value what you value, it doesn't matter what you do, she will not feel her honor. So, it says, honor your wife. Say, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. Listen to this. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should, listen now, so your prayers will not be hindered. Hello? 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 I'm not on anybody's side. I'm just reading scripture out loud. Because somebody will be thinking, oh, pastor is, is favoring the women. No, I'm just reading scriptures. That is why I said, put away all your biases and your prejudices. And let's look at the scripture together. Amen? Now, let's continue. The next point, we're talking about maintaining the sanctity of marriage. Meaning, you are not basing your marriage on societal values. You are not basing your marriage on societal trends. Because that will change with time. Amen? You want to stand on solid rock, you must stand upon the word of God that never changes. It's in print, black and white. Next point, he says, wives, submit to your own husbands. One of the things that makes me sick so much is when I see women that honor other men more than their husbands. I don't care the title the person carries. Father in the Lord. The apostle of our faith. Yeah. Whatever name they go by. The instruction. <laughs> Bishop. Our, our Lord Bishop. I don't care the title they carry. Pastor like myself. I don't care the title they carry. The Bible says, wives. Submit to your own. Your own. I love the scripture. Ephesians, put it up. Ephesians 5.22. It says, for wives, this means submit to your husband as to the Lord. Which translation? Because there's a translation that puts it clear. Your own. Your own. Look for it. Your own. Your own. Your own. Her husband... It's not your husband. <laughs> so it says, if you have agreed to marry, that husband that you have married, submit to him. New age, whatever we like to call the time we live in, you know, we are so sophisticated now. We want to choose which part of scripture that we want to believe. You know, I am the head, I'm not the tail. I am this, I am that. Submit yourself to your own husband. Amen? The next one. Honor your husband as your head. I was so wrap. Honor your husband as your head. The Bible says, the same Ephesians, Ephesians 5.23, it says, for a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. This is serious people of God. It's not a, it's heavy. Somebody say heavy. Heavy stuff. Heavy stuff. It says, as Christ is the head of the church, so is the husband the head of his wife. This is why it is a dangerous thing for you to go and marry and be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Because the rule doesn't change for you. Yes. Oh, I made a mistake. I married an unbeliever. Therefore, I will not. So you lied to yourself. You will. And you shall. 
He said, as Christ is the head of the church, so is the husband the head of the wife. So, as a husband, don't try and go and be head for somebody else's wife. You are only head for your own wife. You know, somebody said to me, and I quote, that somebody was saying that when men are talking, the woman is not supposed to talk. I said, you can tell that to your wife. Yes. Say, when I'm talking, you don't talk because I'm your head. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying you can't put that on every woman. Make sure you choose after God's heart. That is why the sermon that Pastor Joyce preached is a good background for what we're talking about now. You must not be unequally yoked. My, <laughs> love is not, ah, I will say this and it will sound wrong, but I will correct myself. I will fix it. Love is not the basis for marriage. Listen, watch this. <laughs> Let's go deep. <laughs> watch, watch this, watch this. If you marry an unbeliever because you love him or you love her and they refuse to live by the tenets of your faith, that's your own singular headache. You can't make it anybody's problem. You say, pray for me, pray for me. You should have asked for prayer before you married. Amen? The prayer is before marriage, not after marriage. Hallelujah. Eyes on me, eyes on me, eyes on me. The prayer is before marriage. Say, pastor, pray for me. Many people even go behind, they do whatever they have to do, and they just come and present to you. You're going to live with it. Amen? Amen? We cannot change the word of God to suit our purpose. Honor your husband as your head. The last one there, not, I, I'm not done, but we will stop with this. How do we maintain the sanctity of marriage? To maintain the sanctity of marriage, we must maintain sexual purity. When I first heard this, I'm like, it's not possible. That's not possible. You know, somebody told me that there's some kind of marriage relationship, uh, amory, uh, amorous, something. Polyamory, thank you. That you can be married and be fluid about it. You know, so as long as your wife tells you who she's sleeping with, it's okay. And as long as you tell her who you are sleeping with, it's okay. Ah. It's a real thing, no? When you get home, Google. Google is your friend. Polyamory. I'm like, what? I'm like, what? Let's read scripture real quick. I promise to stop here. Watch. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 1 through 4. He said, now regarding the question you asked in your letter. Yes, it is good to abstain from sexual relations. But because there is so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife. And each woman should have her own husband. Are we tracking? We're tracking. All right. Verse 3. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs. And the wife should fulfill her husband's sexual needs. Verse 4. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband. And the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. You know one thing I found over the years? The fact that somebody is a regular in church does not make them a Christian. And I've also learned over the years that we always attract our kind. 
So if you are a fake, flaky somebody, you're just hanging in the periphery, you know all the language, praise God, hallelujah. But you have no relationship with Jesus. Trust me, it's called familiar spirit. The people, <laughs> the, the people that you'll be attracted to will be flaky, praise God, hallelujah, mountain people. They will not be serious-minded people. That will be your attraction. So before you determine who to marry, determine who you want to be in Christ Jesus. Once you fix you, your desires, your attractions will be based on what is built inside of you. So if you are a superficial Christian, God is not wicked. God will not cause a good Christian that is solid in their faith to fall into your hand. It doesn't matter how much you wish it. It's not going to happen. Why? Because God is a just God. He's a just God. So if you are fake, you can say, oh, I know how to fake it. <laughs> the person that you are liking also knows how to fake it. So you fake it together. It's when you marry, you will realize that, ah, I met my match. <laughs> Next time, we will talk about violations of marriage sanctity. Has anybody been blessed today? Do we have questions? We'll just take two. Let's take two very quickly. Uh, oh, I, hold on, hold on. Is there anybody in-house you're willing and able to ask your question out loud? We'll give you priority over all the... Okay, none. Go ahead, please. I will combine these three because they kind of talk about the same thing. First one, sir, is it wrong for a woman to divorce her husband? based on his unbearable character and lack of consent towards her. That's one. The next one about divorce too. What if the husband and wife don't agree on how to raise their children anymore after one spouse doesn't consider himself or herself a Christian? And the third one is, on what condition should a marriage be dissolved or when should divorce be the only option? So when it comes to divorce... There is no general blanket. The one thing I can tell you for certain, the first two questions you ask, they are not basis for divorce. And if you are looking for scripture, that what does the Bible have to say? I've not seen anywhere where the scripture says, if one party does not want to raise the child in the way of the Lord, you know, the Bible, okay, go to, when you read 1 Corinthians 7, you know, the Bible, say, it, didn't say, it didn't say about, you know, we disagree on how to raise the children. It said if the unbeliever is happy to live with you, you will remain there. You know, it said, but we disagree on how to raise children, but he's happy to live with you. He's not saying, I can't stand your spirituality, you know, it's, so now he says, I'm backslidden, I'm no longer a Christian. It's still not basis for, for divorce. Let's take one more. Okay, I'll, combine, one. So, I'll combine another. So the, the one about divorce, you know, what I don't want to do is to take things out of context. If you have a specific question about divorce, come ask me. And I will address your specific situation directly. Go ahead. I will combine two again. If the church will not marry a woman and a man because she's pregnant, why does the church marry people that already have kids together? That's one. The second one. Is a woman allowed to date without the intention of marriage? No. <laughs> so let's start from the last one. <laughs> uh, Songs of Solomon. Songs of Solomon. Uh, listen up, people of God. So, this is not intended for entertainment. It's for knowledge. Songs of Solomon says, do not awaken love when you're not ready for it. You must understand that you are a human being. You have flesh and blood. You have emotions. 
In fact, I will be worried if you don't have emotions running inside of you. You know, sexual. If you don't, it's a scary thought. You should, but you must learn to contain it. You must learn to put your body under. You know, so if I don't have any intention of marriage, why am I running around with it? So that what can happen? So we can test drive the car and see how balanced it is? You know? No. If there's no intention of marriage, then there's no agreement to anything. That's number one. The other one was what? Oh, somebody that has had a child. All I'm saying is you can go have the baby. We'll still join you. But we can't join three people because the baby is inside of you and connected with you in the moment. Right? And for those that are really curious about that, someone that has had a child before they got married and someone that is getting married that is not a virgin, there's no difference between the both of them. It's just that uh, one decided that I'm not going to have an abortion, had the baby. Some have had abortion and some just didn't get pregnant. You know, it's all in the same ballpark. You know, the fact that you didn't get pregnant does not make you holier than the one that got pregnant and had a baby. You, you already, you did the do, or do the do, or did the did, or however you want to say it. You know, so there's no, there's no real difference, is what I'm saying. So many of us, we, when we are judging other people's situation, we have this chip on our shoulder. You know, how can the church marry somebody that already had a child? The first question I will ask you is, currently are you a virgin before you marry? If your answer is no, then you are not different from that other person. So, remove the chip. Get off your high horse. And let's have a real conversation. And even if you are a virgin at the point of marriage, you know, somebody having a child out of wedlock does not mean they have committed the unforgivable sin. Amen? Because there's always room for repentance. Amen? Is that good? Yes. Hallelujah. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We encourage you to fellowship with us here at Salvation Center if you are in the San Antonio area. For more information, visit our website at www.rccgsanantonio.org.